so today's sermon uh, from Psalm 115 is trusting God in the midst of mockers. Trusting God in the midst of mockers. Look with me real quick in verses 2. Uh, really, the basis of the title is really on verses 2, uh, where it says, Why should the nation say, Where now is their God? Okay? Where now is their God? You ever hear people sometimes mock, especially in times of trial, and say, Where is your God? Where is God? Um, if He's real, how come He's not helping? Why is the situation like this? Um, and all that, okay? So today, we're looking at this. Um, really, remember the context. Um, I think what we're looking at these Psalms. Of all the Psalms, all these from Psalm 113 to 118, I think the one that is probably the most polemical, that is um, uh, antagonistic towards idols and other things, is actually this Psalm, okay? But before, I hope you guys would be patient. This is not just a sermon about bashing others kind of thing. It's actually, I think as you look carefully, we'll see... Uh, as we look even more deeper, this is, there's a sense where this is actually going deeper. When we ask, where is our God? We will see Him on the cross, dying for our sins, to save us from our sins. Uh, with that, okay? By way of reminder, why are we doing all this? Um, is because from Psalm 113 and 118, we've been looking at this, is actually these Psalms are actually the Psalms in the life of Jesus. Where the last week of Jesus' life, they would have read these Psalms every night, each one consecutively, 113, 114, 115 each night, leading up to the Passover. And on the Passover night, the night where the Jews had their biggest holiday to celebrate them being freed from Egypt, uh, the night before Christ would have died is actually uh, during this time period, during this holiday celebration 2,000 years ago. Christ would have sung these psalms also as well during their Passover night, during His last supper, His last dinner. He would have been singing these psalms, and the way they would sing it is they'll sing verses 113 to 118. And then uh, in between, uh, before the meal and after the meal. And I think when you look at this, these would have been the last songs Jesus would have sang. These would have been the last uh, few hours of the psalms that Jesus would have, or, or part of the Bible Jesus would have read. And I think this actually helped even prepare Christ to go to the cross to die for our sins. I think if there's one thing we could learn... From looking at Psalm 113 and 118 as the way we are doing it, through the lens of Christ, looking at back at the scripture, is also how did these psalms minister to us in our trials. Just as it ministered to Christ in His trials, it makes us focus on our uh, not on ourselves, but on Christ and God. When we are going through difficulties, sometimes it's hard to see it's about God first, and then trusting in God. And tr- part of trusting God means also trusting God to help us in His way. Uh, there's no Bible verse. I wish there was a Bible verse I could tell someone, oh, if you trust in God, your, your coronavirus will be healed. Sometimes God heals. Sometimes God does not, but bring people home in different ways. But nevertheless, I think it is true. If you trust in God, God is at work. Each person's work in their life might be different. How God's working in your life and your trials might be very differently than how God's working in some other brother's trial and their difficulty. But definitely, when you look carefully, you see God's work and God's blessing. In light of this, I think uh, what we've been seeing, we looked at first at Psalm 113, then 114, and today we're going to be at 115, and Lord willing, this Tuesday we'll be at 116. And 116, uh, I hope you guys join us for, uh, for even uh, this Tuesday, because that would be a very psalm of crying out of anguish. And if you're going through a tough time, even with this, Psalm 116, I think we could relate to it, even on the surface level, crying out to God. But I actually think it's more deeper of how it applied to Christ 
as he goes in the last few hours before he would die for us on our, our sins, okay? So today, we're going to be focused specifically on what do we do when people mock us and say, where is your God, okay? Where is your God, okay? Um, but please bear with me uh, with that, okay? So we're going to see two points for today. Uh, two points, okay? How many points? You can show your hands. Two points, okay? Two points, okay? We're going to see that uh, when others mock where is God, we must continue trusting God for two reasons. And these are the two reasons, okay? These are two reasons. Number one, trust God because He's gloriously at work, okay? Trust God because He is gloriously at work. This is in verses 1 through 8, okay? Trust God because He is gloriously at work. That's point number one. Point number two, trust God because He remembers us. Trust God because He remembers us. Trust God because He remembers us. And this is in verses 9 through 18, okay? Verses 9 to 18. Verses 9 to 18. Let me review again the purpose today. Is we're going to see when others mock where is God, we must continue trusting God for two reasons. These two reasons are point number one, trust God because He's graciously at work. Uh, he is graciously at work, verses 1 through 8, okay? And point number two is trust God because He remembers us, okay? Because He remembers us. Uh, because He remembers us. This is in verses 9 to 18. So in light of this, we will be looking. Um, and this, by the way, should encourage us also to continuously trust in God. But how I, I think we go much deeper when we see, hey, this is how Christ would have read this the last few hours in His life. And therefore, I think seeing how he applied it makes me love Jesus more. And when we know loves Jesus more because he loved us, and therefore I think even with the sea of a lot of things in his time, in our life, a lot of uncertainty, I think one thing is certain is that God still loved us and he died for us and he saved us. I mean, even just right now, right? <laughs> Talk about uncertainty. I never thought in my lifetime, okay, um, I know going overseas, you see a lot of shortage of a lot of things, food and, you know, amenities, you know, or in the military. But I never thought, I don't think any of us, maybe in our lifetime, ever thought, wow, we would ever be in a time where, how could it be with such a big economic engine as the United States economy? How could there actually be shortage? Now, I know we're still blessed, okay, compared to other parts of the world, even with shortage. Eventually, you'll find your toilet paper. After a few days, okay, um, uh, or, or going around different hours to different places, but nevertheless, how could it be possible? There's so many things uncertain. We even just right now said, "Hey, you know, Pastor Link could get masks cheaper than other places," and all of a sudden, boom, just like that. Okay, well, never mind. Okay, so in light of all this, what thing could we be certain is the fact that God is exists and He's still working in us. He's still working in us. And though we cannot domesticate it, we cannot be formulaic and make God say, oh, he will do this. He's not a genie in the bottle. We are, he's still working. And the greatest promise we have, the certainty, is that he came and he died for our sins. So in light of this, we want to encourage, even if our heart is saying, "How? where is there a God? How can people be dying? And all of this, I think let's look at point number one. Trust God because he is gloriously, or I think I said earlier, graciously, synonymous okay because he is gloriously or graciously at work this is in verses 1 through 8 okay this is in verses 1 through 8 verses 3 summarize this section verses 3 summarizes this section so let me read verses 3 again okay uh, let me read verses 3 again it says uh, but our God is in the heavens he does whatever he pleases okay we see here in verses 3 it says that of God's residence is that God is in where 
heaven, okay? Uh, and he does whatever he pleases, okay? He does whatever he pleases, okay? So here we get extrapolate from this point. I think it's summarized uh, uh, things in verses 1 through 8. Our first point is that we must trust God because he's gloriously at work. But before we get there, there's two verses before the summary verse. Let's look at verses 1. I think Psalm 115, even if you don't know this psalm, I think there's one verse. Most people know it, right? Uh, in terms of songs and also in history, okay? Uh, psalms 115 verses 1 show that God's people want God to be glorified in His display of loving kindness and truth, okay? Uh, verses 1 says this, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory because of your loving kindness, because of your truth, okay? Uh, anyone ever heard this verse before? Right? Some of you guys uh, raising your hand is probably because of that song, right? I'm not going to sing, but it was that not to us, but be your name, be the glory, okay? And also, if you know history also, I think Shakespeare, oh, Shakespeare did, no, I don't think, Shakespeare did quote this. I don't remember the context, okay? Uh, quoting this uh, psalm also as well. But it's unfortunate, most people kind of, most people read the Bible like a fortune cookie, right? You look at one verse by itself, you cut it away from everything else, and you make it a nice quote for Twitter, Facebook, and, and, and Instagram. Nothing wrong with that, but I think we see it just like a Bible, like a, each Bible verse is like a puzzle piece. It is beautiful, but when you put it all the other piece, you see, whoa, a bigger picture. When you see how it connects to Psalm 115, then when you see the bigger picture, which what we're hoping to do today, in the bigger picture of even the New Testament, how it connects to Christ, you're like, wow, what an amazing prediction of Christ and also aiding Christ to go on His journey to save us from our sin, aiding Him in the journey to die on the cross to save us from our sins. So verses th uh, 1, God's people want God to be glorified in His display of loving kindness, right? You remember Psalm 114 earlier? It was about the Exodus, yes? You guys kind of remember? It, it began first historically with the Exodus. And by the way, God displayed His power back then too. But with what? With punishment over sin. But here, God's people are saying, Oh, but we also want to see God's glory displayed how? By His loving kindness, and also with truth, okay? So this is now to balance 114. Yes, God judges sin. But 115 is also, we also want to see God's glory displayed in what? His loving kindness, His compassion. The Hebrew word for loving kindness is kesed or hesed. It actually means His faithful love. That He is a God that when He promised something, He will fulfill it, okay? And He does it because He loves us, not because we are worthy of it, okay? So here you see God's people, and you might ask the question, what does, because uh, uh, this verse 1, verse 1, really says, hey, we want God to be glorified, not ourselves. But you might say, how does this connect to this theme about trusting in God that, that we're seeing in this psalm? Because there's a lot of call for us to trust in God. And I think this is how it connects. Um, I think there's a relationship between who you want to glorify, who do you want to promote, who do you want to brag about, and who do you trust in. Okay, for instance, if you want to trust in yourself, if you really are, are trusting in yourself, or actually, if you want to praise yourself, who are you going to be trusting in order to get the points of uh, praise? You're trusting in yourself. Okay, likewise, also as well, there is that relationship. The other relationship is this if we trust in God, if you love Him and you, you trust Him in a loving way, you want Him to get the credit for things rather than it being about ourselves. So in line of this, there is a relationship between trusting in God and also glorifying uh, uh, God. 
Likewise, if we're not trusting in God, we're not glorifying God, right? We'll be too anxious to think about God's glory, for instance, right? Or we're thinking so much about glorifying ourselves if we're accomplishing things. So in light of this, we must trust in God. But notice the problem that we see here. There's a problem stated in verses 2. It says, Why should the nation say, where now is their God? Okay, If you want God to get the glory and the recognition, but then people around are saying, you know what, I don't see a God, or there's, where is your God? Then you'll say, oh, well, well, I want God to be glorified, but why is God, where is God? Okay, What do you do in light of this? In the context, this is not just us asking in our trials. In the context, it says, why should the nations say? And the nations here is not referring to Israel. But in the original context when Psalms 114 was written, this would have been surrounding nations around them, which most of them believe in many gods. And they'll say, hey, Israel, you're so weak as a nation. And back then, most people would see how strong is your God is how strong is you militarily. Okay, But God's way is, it's not, this is not the only way to look at it. God is the one that works also showing loving kindness, not just in controlling and, uh, and being ruling over other people tyrannically. Okay, by, by their country Israel, or God's people Israel through that. Okay, so here is this phrase: Where now is their God? And they people in the context would have believed in many gods. And by the way, for us today, even though most people in America would say that we don't believe in any gods at all, there's a lot of people that are atheists. Nevertheless, I think there's a lot of times people, whatever you trust in more than God, whatever you love more than God, is your functional God. Is your idol okay? So don't just say, "Oh, okay, these are you know I'm too sophisticated. Uh, I don't have idols. I think we all have something we put above God, and that would be our idol. Whatever we find our joy and satisfaction uh, for this in the West is sometimes it could be money, it could be materialism, it could be fame, right? Uh, money and food and uh, having material is not a sin, but if you put that above God, that becomes your idol, okay? So here's this problem where people are mocking the same way. Where is your God? Specifically to Israel or the people of God in the Bible. It says, where now is their God? As it states in verse 2. And the answer is actually summarized in verses 3. Okay, The summary version uh, of the answer is actually in verses 3. The answer summarizes, but our God is in heaven. Okay, So when people ask, where's your God physically? You guys ever have this? Sometimes I share the gospel in UCLA or... Pasadena State College, when I go and just share the gospel, sometimes we, I don't believe in God because I don't see Him in front of me. If, you, if there's a God, how come you don't make Him appear right now? And what is our usual answer? Our answer is what? God is what? Immaterial? That the Bible says God is, uh, is a spirit. He doesn't necessarily, His nature doesn't need a body, okay? Uh, number two, we would say, oh, God is in heaven, okay? And also, God is, He could do whatever He wants, too. Also, and by the way, the only thing, uh, if your only proof is what you can see, there's many things we know that we don't physically see with our eyes right now, right? Uh, for instance, we all, we can make logical arguments um, that we don't see certain things. For instance, uh, we have great, 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 great grandparents before the days of age and camera. But how do we know they exist? Is because, well, it, it, we're arguing from causality, right? Um, you know, from... Europe, uh, we must come from existence from some other prior uh, people in history before we get here, okay? But nevertheless, I don't want to get too distracted. Here we see, verses 3, God says, Hey, you know, answering this question, where's our God? Well, God is in heaven, okay? He answered directly. But then in verses 3, the people are meaning more than when they say, where's their God? It's saying, where's your God? What does He do? And all that. Verses 3 also gives the second part of verse 3 also says, He does whatever He pleases, okay? He could do whatever He pleases, Okay, now in light of this mockery, 
In line with this mockery, I think this psalm might be a little more harsh. But if you look at this, please don't say, okay, the Bible is just harsh. Is in the context of, the Bible often is those who are in need of grace are humble. God is very gracious. Jesus Christ is very gracious. But for those that are mockers, then God uh, opposes the proud, as the scripture says. So in light of this, in verses 4 to 7, is expanded answer to the nations that say, oh, where is your God? Okay, By actually comparing and contrasting the God of the Bible and the gods of the world. Okay? And this gets a little polemical, but remember the context. This is talking to those that are mocking God, and God's response is, okay, if you want to make a mockery, let's present both sides and look at uh, look at it uh, also as well, okay? Look with me in verses 4 to 7. You're going to see a comparison and specifically a contrast between the God of the Bible, what we've just answered, which people could make fun, oh, where's that's funny, ha, 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 all that. And now it's going to be, okay, let's look at the nation's God, okay? Uh, verses 4. Verses 4 says, Their idols are silver and gold, the works of many hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have ears, but they cannot see. They have, uh, or they have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throat. Okay, verses four begins with the. Oh, verses four begins with the origin. Okay, or the nature, uh, with this. Okay, unlike the biblical God. Uh, these gods, these idols that they construct as gods, okay, um, they're made out of silver and gold. Which, by the way, you can see, right? You can see those silver and with the gold. But yet, the scripture also makes this point, hey, they're made by human hands. So there's a contrast that the psalmist is trying to have. A God made everything, the true living God, but then your God is made by human hands. That's the first contrast. Then the contrast is also, is, is of course, we know the nature is different. They could brag and say, oh, we could see our God, but we can't see your God. But then he goes on uh, with this. Again, remember the context here uh, with this is this is a context with those that are mocking. Okay, This is not just every day you just go out there and make fun of things. Okay, Here in the context, you see uh, there's a greater comparison where now uh, the writers say, okay, I'm going to just adopt and say, yes, you can see your God, but let's go further. I'm going to take it for granted we can see your God, but let's look further in verses 5. They have mouths. But then they cannot speak, okay? They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot, what, hear, okay? They have noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throat, okay? Assuming that there's a throat. So in light of all this, saying they have these physical features. You could see them all, but they can't do anything. Uh, and yet, there is uh, the God... That can, these gods that can be seen can't do anything is what's verse 4 to 7 is saying. And yet God of the Bible, you can't see Him, but verse 3 is saying the contrast is what? He is actually working. Okay, We'll talk more about what does that work mean in a little bit as we go on. This is the work of, I think, focusing on the work of Christ specifically, dying for our sins. Okay, um, And I think there's an irony. There's an irony that the gods whom you can't see but can't do anything, on the one hand, and yet there's a God who you cannot see is able to do what? Many things and is working. And the result, what is the result of idol worshippers is verses 8. Okay? Again, this is not my word, but this is the word of God, okay? I'm not trying to be mean-spirited, but this is what God's word, sometimes we have to face the truth of what the word says here. 
It says, those who make them will become like them, everyone who trusts in them. Saying, if we trust in that, we'll be like that way also as well. We'll be, not that you, you don't be unable to see, but you become spiritually insensitive, okay? Uh, you become dull or hardened to the things of God, okay? So in light of this, we go on further, okay? Uh, in light of this, we ask the question, how does this fit in with Jesus Christ reading this the last night? Before he's going to die. By the way, when you read this and say, Hey, this is a hard time, hard for me to apply to my life. In my struggle with the whole anxiety of working. Some of you guys are working incredibly hours, right? In light of the coronavirus. Some of you guys, job security, we're not even sure. You might even be laid off or whatever. In light of all this, you might say, how does this speak to us? You know what I find so beautiful of Jesus? Is Jesus teaches us when he reads this psalm. When we ask, how does this relate to Jesus? You see, this actually makes Jesus focus on him, for us, we might be reading this. I I read this and thinking, how does how did this minister to Jesus when he's about to go down a cross? And in this psalm, he's talking about idols, where Jesus was not worshiping idols. Most of his followers are not worshiping idols. But let's take a closer look a little bit, okay? Remember, this psalm is focusing in verses one. Look with me in verses one. Psalm one fifteen verse one says, "Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory, because of your loving kindness, because of your truth." When Jesus Christ was going to go die, whose glory was he focusing on glorifying? Who he's trying to give the honor to? Specifically, we know it's he wants to give glory to who? God the Father, okay? Now put your pinky or thumb in Psalm 115 and turn with me to the New Testament, to Matthew 26, verse 39. Again, Matthew 26, verse 39, okay? Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. Remember, Jesus would have read this passage the night before he's going to die. Okay, and so we go to the night before Jesus is going to, uh, the night before he's about to die. In Matthew 26, verse 39. Matthew 26, verse 39. This is what it says in the Gospel of Matthew. This is, uh, in the context, is Jesus would have had dinner, and he would have read and sang these psalms. And afterward, he went to the garden of Gethsemane to pray. So this is a few hours, a few moments later. And this is what Jesus says and pray. And he I went... Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet I did not as I will, but as you will. Yeah. So Jesus is about to suffer. And the cup he's talking about is about the suffering, taking on the wrath of God, the Father. And Jesus says, hey, your will, not my will, be done. And when, you're, when we're fulfilling your will, you will get what? The glory, not to us. He's saying, not even saying not to us, not to me as his primary motivation first, but to you be the glory. And by the way, I think as we glorify God, we also get glory, just like Christ. And just like us today, right? Those who are faithful with God, if they're focusing on God, we also respect Him and honor them, okay? But if they're all about honoring themselves first, they don't have the glory of God being glorified, nor do they get any honor. And God will lift us up when we're faithful. Especially in our rewards in heaven. But here you see Jesus Christ. How it would encourage him is I think Matthew uh, shows here Jesus about the glory of God the Father. But is there any verse in scripture the night before he died that reminded him of his purpose? That reminded us of all of our purpose? Yes. Psalm 115 verses 1. Not to us, but to you be the glory. And by the way, the glory, turn back with me to Psalm 115. Verse 1, notice the glory here is what? Because of your loving kindness. Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sin is a way of showing loving kindness. Listen, Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sin is a way of displaying the loving kindness of God's glory that we, of course, benefit. Okay, uh, remember verses 2? 
Look with me again, verses 2. Why should the nations say, where now is their God? Okay. The word for nations, if you were to have a Jewish translation, some Jews would translate this as Gentile. Okay. Gentile, literally in Hebrew, goyim means nations. Now, when Jesus Christ was dying, was it just only the Jews that were involved with his death, or were there also Gentiles? Yeah, they were Gentiles. The people that were putting him to death were the Roman soldiers. They were full-blooded Gentiles, okay? So, when Jesus Christ was dying, was there any moment where there were Gentiles surrounding him? Yes. Turn with me. And yet they were mocking, as you see in verses 2. They're saying, where is now their God, okay? Where now is God? But we're going to see the nations mocking God include the Jews and also Gentiles, that is non-Jews. Turn with me to Matthew 27, verses 39 to 44. Turn with me to Matthew 27, verse 39 to 44. This is going to be a little bit longer. Josh, you could feel free to read that. Unmute yourself first and then read that out loud for me so I could catch my breath. Matthew 27, verse 33. Uh, verse 39 to 44. 39 to 44. 39. Yes, sir. And uh, those passing by were hurling views at him, wagging their heads, saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Uh, to 44. In uh, the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him and saying, He saved others, but he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now. If he delights in him, for he said, I am the son of God. The robbers who had been crucified with him were also insulting him with the same words. Okay, thank you, Josh. If you can mute it yourself for now. Uh, so we, what we see in the psalm is a whole bunch of people were mocking Jesus on the cross. Could you imagine? This guy is dying. It would have been a very grotesque scene of death, okay? Um, and yet, what is going on here is people were mocking, okay? I don't know about you. For me, when I see someone dying, it's not something, a time of mocking, okay? It's not usually a time of mocking. It's just, hey, man, they're made in the image of God. But notice what was going on, just the cruelty, okay? It wasn't just mocking of Jesus. I think there's a mocking that also bringing in God, and therefore bringing in the name of God in a mockery is actually blasphemy, okay? Verse 39, right? People, Random people walking by, they're mocking Him, okay? They're, notice what they say in verses 40. They're saying, hey, if you're the Son of God, come down from the cross, okay? Verses 41, apparently the religious leaders did that too and said, hey, if God is with you, where is God uh, for you? God is not here. You're dying. If you trust in God, He will definitely be able to, what, save you, take you down from the cross, okay? And then notice even the people that were dying next to Jesus in verses 44, the robbers, they were mocking Him also as well, okay? So you see here from what? Those that are very high, the religious leaders, those who are just normal, walking by, general population, GP, but also as well, those that were the low, those that were crucified. And if you guys remember uh, before, other times I've shared, those who were crucified, Roman law. You know in Rome, sometimes if you, certain people, if they rebel, Roman citizens, they don't necessarily always crucify them because they saw it so low, such a horrible way of dying. It only was reserved for non-citizen, okay? Non-citizen. And yet, those who are so lowly, the... The thieves, the, the robbers, I actually don't think they're robbers. I think they're terrorists. I think that's a slang for terrorists, okay? Just like the word Taliban means we think of terrorists, but 
in uh, Arabic is what? Students. Because they say they're students of the Quran, that kind of thing, okay? But we see there, same way, these, the lowly, they're dying, we're also making fun of mockery of Jesus. I think when you read Psalm 115, verses 2 in that light, I think this would administer to Jesus, realizing, hey, mockery is going to be before him. So this rest of the psalm is very important to give Christ the focus of God by hearing God's word or, or to focus on God the Father because Jesus Christ is God in His humanity to focus on God the Father to go through this even in the season of mockery. And what is the answer? We already saw verses 3, did we not? Turn back with me to Psalm 119. No, correction, 115 verses 3, okay? Psalm 115 verses 3. You guys could turn back with me to Psalm 115, verses 3. Uh, I'm almost out of battery. I'm going to leave. Okay. Okay, Psalm 115, verses 3. Or you could uh, plug it in also. Okay, or whatever you need to do, Josh. Okay. Verses 3, uh, but our God is in heaven. He does whatever He pleases. Okay? Um, so God does whatever He pleases. And what, what is, did God the Father did? God the Father, we know, Jesus would have known from Isaiah 53, 10, right? would have sent Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ was on heaven, what did God the Father do? He poured out His wrath. Turn with me real quick to Isaiah 53, verse 10. Okay? Isaiah 53, verse 10. Isaiah 53, verse 10. Remember, God can do whatever He wants. And Jesus Christ remembers that from that verse. In Isaiah 53, verses 10. Uh, Isaiah 53, verses 10. This is what it says. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he would see his offspring, he would prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hands. You see what this verse is prophesying? This verse is saying, God the Father will pour out his wrath, his punishment on Jesus. But then it's not because the Messiah or Jesus did something bad. Verses 10 shows here, it's to save people. It's to prolong people's his offspring is to prolong His days, is to remove, uh, to be a guilt offering, to remove all our sins and to save us, is why what the God the Father is doing. So in reading all this, I think this ministered to God, uh, Jesus Christ, remembering that the, He will be mocked, He will also be focused on God's will instead of His will, and He would also, whatever God wants to do, it will go so far even for Him to take on the wrath of God. Let's go to point number two for the sake of time. I'm going to be picking up speed a little more. Okay. Um, point number two, trust God because He remembers us. This is in verses 9 to 18. I'm not going to look at every single verse here, but look with me real quick as a summary. Um, the summary is in verses 12 to 13. The summary is in verses 12 to 13. It says, The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. Verses 13, He will bless those who fear uh, the Lord, the small together with the great. Okay, We're looking at this psalm here. This is a summary. Uh, some of your version in verses 12 might not says, The Lord have been mindful. Literally, the word is, The Lord remembers. Okay, Any of your version says, The Lord remember? Raise your hand if there is anyone. Okay, uh, The word actually, the Hebrew word is actually zakur. Okay, That's where the book of Zechariah, uh, God remembers. Is what Zechariah means. God remembers. In fact, if you read any book in the Bible, if you ever struggle with your doubt and say, is Jesus Christ really the Messiah? Is there prophecies that shows that the Bible is real? I actually encourage you guys to read Zechariah. Second to the last book in the Old Testament. 
is God remembers. And there's so much prophecy. Every chapter, there's something pointing towards Christ, including his death and and and, and also dying on the cross. Also, where it says prophesied that he would be nailed also as well. Okay, So here you see God remembers us. And therefore, the flow of blessing follows us descriptively, right? Verses 12 to 13. So if God remembers us, what's the application for us? Notice in verse 9 11. There's a call to trust in God, okay? Where it says, O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is our help and shield. And then you see this theme, that God is help and shield, okay? Uh, and in verses 11, You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is our help and shield, okay? So all of this is to call us, hey, If God remembers us, we need to what? Trust in Him, okay? We need to trust in Him. And then in result of this, notice in verses 14 to 16, there's petitions of prayer requests, okay? There's a prayer request that the psalmist, this writer, is looking at all this going on and is praying, Hey, God, will you increase your followers, okay? Look with me, uh, verses 14 to 16, okay? Verses 14 to 16, this is what it says. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed of the Lord, maker of heaven and earth, okay? Verse 16, the heavens are... Are the heavens of the Lord, but the earth He has given to the sons of men. If you guys remember earlier, we read Isaiah fifty-three verse ten. We saw earlier about God, the Messiah dying is for His offsprings, that is His children. Those who trust in Him are His children. Verses fourteen gives us the same thing, praying that, "Hey Lord, give your increase for your children." Sometimes we can pray so many things in our life, but never forget as application to pray for more people to be saved. For more people to know Jesus Christ. This should be a moment opportunity. We don't only pray for our needs and the needs of others and our family and health. But let us pray for the salvation of sinners. Let us pray to be focused on that. Okay. So we see here there's a prayer of increase in the midst of the mocking. There should not be a time we should just go back and don't say anything about the gospel. This is a time to even share and pray also as well. Also, as well. What, well, my own family, my four sisters and I, what we've been doing recently is we've been every day, every day of the week, one of our sisters is definitely committed, or myself, sibling committed to pray, okay? Um, our Sunday is a day that all of us are going to be praying, all my siblings, for the conversion of my parents, okay? Or, you know, my dad too, we're, we're not too sure salvation-wise, okay? And then Monday I pray, and then Tuesday, and then the other days are my sisters. Now, am I praying the other days? Yes. But definitely those days that I do. So pray, as we see here. Trust God that He remembers us, and therefore we pray for more people to become children of God, to be saved. And notice the resurrection promises in verse 17 to 18, okay? The dead do not praise Quote verse 17, The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do they uh, do any who go down to silence. But as for you, we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forever. Praise the Lord. Okay, You know what? why this psalm I think is, is meaningful for Jesus Christ? Is that He's about to go die, especially those last part, verses 9 to 18. It's not only there the battle of the idols and all that, and the mockery, but verse 9 to 18, I think it helped you stay on focus. Why would He die? is so that people would have a resurrection promise. As the verse, says six, verse 16 says negatively, right? Um, oh, oh, correction, verses 17, right? It says, hey, if the dead do not praise the Lord, then God doesn't get His glory. So therefore, He's going to go and die so that people would be able to have life. And in verse 18, it says, as for those, us, that is those who trust in Him, 
we will be blessed. And how long will we be blessed for? It says, for those who trust in Him, from time and forevermore, for eternity. And I think this helped, going back to how this applied to Jesus Christ, He realized God's goal is actually to save people, okay? To save people, so that people would also, what? Um, be able to have eternal life. So this is making Jesus Christ focus on the mission. And in thinking of all this, how does this psalm apply for Jesus? First and foremost, I think we see, right, that it's about His purpose to die for the sins of all of us, okay? Let's also as well, um, remember how we saw verses 12? It shows that what? God remembers, okay? Let's also think about, was there any point in Jesus' death and Jesus' last week that there's a point of remembering, God remembering? Yes. Turn with me real quick to Luke chapter 23, verse 42 to 43. Okay? Remember, God remembers. His purpose is to save us from our sins. God remembers. God the Father, and I would even say Jesus Christ, who is God the Son, also remembers. And let's look at the sweet moment with Jesus Christ on the cross in Luke 23, verses 42 to 43. Again, Luke 23, verses 42 to 43. This is a... Incredible scene. Jesus Christ at this moment is still suffering the full wrath of God. He is suffering on the cross physically. And in Luke chapter 23 verses 42 to 43, a conversation is recorded that Jesus Christ has with the, uh, uh, with the thief. If you guys remember earlier, there's two thieves that die, die next to Jesus, right? And even what we read earlier from Matthew is there were the thieves that were mocker, plural. And now one of the thieves had a change of heart. Suddenly he's no longer mocking with the sky turning dark with all these unusual events, the earthquake and everything. Suddenly now he's thinking, uh-oh, I think I might have made a big mistake. This here is a son of God. Like he's, he, could you imagine in this moment, the whole world, these religious leaders were mocking him. The Roman soldiers were mocking Jesus. And now this one guy says, uh-oh, I think I understand what's going on. This is actually, I think everyone's making a big mistake. This is the Son of God. And he's going, crying out in verses 42. He said to them, Jesus, what does he say? Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember how earlier we saw Psalm 113, uh, 115, where it says that God remembers and therefore he blesses and shows grace. And in the context of Psalm 115, it's about God saving us, not just right now blessing us physical things or nice health or marriage or good relationship or any of that, though God does work in that sometimes. But here's a promise that God's main purpose, the main focus is to save people so that people would have eternal life. And if Jesus Christ is God, who is the Savior coming as man, did he remember us? Did he remember this thief? Look with me in verses 20, uh, 43. And he said to him, Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. It is, I think, no coincidence that the night before, Christ would have read a psalm about God remembers His grace. And now here is this man dying, a sinner, a chief of sinners, a major sinner, saying, remember me, and Jesus says, yes, I will remember you. This goes, by the way, speak to us that challenges, because we have a hard time remembering the verse we read to apply to our life, do we not? We don't even think of applying, but I think Christ is very different. It's a challenge for us to read the scriptures, to apply to our life, not just only see judgment, yes, there's judgment, you know, those idols and forth, but even to see God's grace, and to extend grace, and to know that grace is applied for us. 
Finally, I also want to look at one more passage. If you guys could turn back with me. Um, and then we're going to be landing pretty shortly, okay? We're going to look at one but Psalm 115 and one more New Testament reference. And basically, we'll land for the day. And we'll land on the note of God's grace. Turn back with me to Psalm 115. I want to look in the focus in verses 13. Jesus died on the cross for our sin. Jesus remembering His grace for us. Is that for only important people or for all people, small and big? What do you guys think? We know in the New Testament. Yeah, for all, okay? But in verses 15 it says, May you be blessed of the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. Okay? Oh, actually, sorry, verses uh, 13. I I misread. Uh, 115 verse 13. He will bless those who fear the Lord. The small together, the great. If you fear the Lord, that is, if you trust in Him, and this is a loving fear, okay? Uh, like how I fear my dad, even though physically I might be stronger, I still love him, respect what he has to say, right? So this loving fear, that is, you love Him, then you trust in Him. Will this? Will God save us, as it says, that we'll live forevermore in the end of the psalm? Yes. This promise for all, as it says, right? From those who were, verse 13, those who are small together with those who are great. Now turn with me to Revelations 19. Remember that phrase, what we've just read, bless those who are small and those who are great. Revelation 19, verses 1. By the way, the psalm of 115 end with hallelujah. You guys realize the word, today Christians, we like to sing a lot of hallelujah, which in Hebrew means praise the Lord. You guys realize after the psalms was written, you don't see hallelujah ever mentioning again. You don't see in the gospels. Or you don't see it mentioned for a long time. I shouldn't say never again. You, you don't see it in the, the prophets. There's no hallelujah. There's none in the gospels. There's none in the book of Acts. The next time you see the word hallelujah would be in the last book of the Bible. Look with me in Revelation 19. It says what? Hallelujah. Salvation and glory belongs to our God. So these people are singing. Who are, who's the one singing? It says here, great multitude. Remember the Psalms earlier is a prayer for more people to know God's grace to be saved to go to heaven. Now we see in heaven the answer of God's prayer, what we pray, what Christ would have prayed, what all these people would have prayed. Now there's people saying hallelujah. Even the nations, whereas the nations earlier were the one making fun of. Notice God's grace. He doesn't say, oh, I'll just punish you. He's going to save those who turn to Him. That there's grace. And if you look with me in Revelation 19, Verses 5, And a voice came from the throne, saying, Give praise to our God, all you bondservants, you who fear Him, the small and the great. If you notice here, you who fear Him, the small and the great, where does that come from? That's actually a quotation exactly from Psalm 115, verses 13, what we read earlier. The, that we, those who fear Him, the small and the great. You see, when reading Revelation, it's beautiful. But if you see it in its connection, especially the more Old Testament you know, the better it is to help you interpret the book of Revelation. I think Revelation is an old preacher's game. Older preachers should preach it instead of young preachers who think they know it all, right? So that's why I'm not preaching Revelation anytime soon, okay? Because I think I'm young. But anyways, but here Revelation shows the scripture, right? The promises of God is fulfilled. And how is it possible that the nations, even those that used to worship idols, how is it possible that people come to know Him? All that is because of Christ coming on earth, dying for our sins, to save us, to save all of humanity. For those who trust in Him, that is a hope. And I think if you read in Psalm 115 in this light, it is not just saying, oh, our God is better. But our God is better, yes. Not because I happen to trust in Him, because it's not about my glory, but about His glory. 
And His glory is shown what? That He loved you and I, that He sent Christ to die on the cross. And my challenge to you today is this, this morning and this afternoon is this, will you and have you trust in His grace? He's already done the hard work. God the Father planned it, God the Son died, and the Holy Spirit is working to bring people to Him. Will you today hear this call and see His grace of the beauty of how these Psalms are prophesying about Christ as well? I hope today you place your trust in Him and see that the, our greatest problem has already been solved. Yes, coronavirus is a, uh, a problem, is a crisis, the economy is a crisis, but our greatest problem in that perspective is heaven and hell after what do you do when you die has already been solved. And to that God we trust for every details of our life. Let us close in a word of prayer, okay?